Welcome to Paradigms at Paradigms.life. I'm your host, Baruch, happy to be here with you, bringing you inspired, inspiring people with visions of a viable future for life on Earth that includes humans. And in this episode of Paradigms, our guest really epitomizes that mission. His name is Michael Galden. He's a young man who's just written a very significant book called My Way Home, Growing Up Homeless in America. I've read the book. We're going to talk with Michael. I hope you'll read the book. And that's what the episode looks like, along with some some great music, of course. Michael's message is powerful. He relates his own experience. And I think you'll find this illuminating. So let's get right into it and meet our guests on this episode of Paradigms. Michael Golden, welcome to Paradigms. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to have you on the show. You are an amazing young man. You've just written a book called My Way Home, Growing Up Homeless in America, a memoir. And I just read it, all of it, and it's very powerful. And uh, wow. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes, it's my debut. um, It's my debut memoir. And I put a lot of effort into it. I'm just excited to get it out to the people and get the message out. It's very well written. It's very easy to read. You know, you did a great job on that. The story and the stuff that you discuss and the experiences that you recount are really so mind-blowing. If I didn't know that this were a true story, because I have talked with you before, I would think, wow, someone made this up. Because it's, except that I know that you didn't make it up. I know this is your story. Yeah. I mean, you know, the crazy part is, is, you know, when people do the fact checks and when people, you know, ask the question, is this guy, you know, is he, is he, is he fabricating all of this? They're going to realize that I was actually homeless, you know, close to 11 years and not 10. And, you know, there's a lot of gritty, ugly stuff that I left out just for the sake of storytelling. Like, this is the, the um, you know, for the kids version, you know, yeah. because what I experienced with my mom, it got really, really ugly. It got really, really messy. And you almost had to be there to believe it. I believe it. And 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 I could tell that, you know, this was just a smattering of your life story. Uh but the, yeah. the there are big events in here and honestly the first thing I want to ask you is how your mom and sister are doing. <laughs> uh my sister, she um she's doing pretty good. In the story she was at um SDSU and I'm not gonna speak on that too much, but right now she finished up at um City College and um uh, She's working on as a line cook and she's moving along and, and progressing. And my mother, she's doing a lot better. She, you know, she had four surgeries and she actually adopted uh, my little cousin and she's in the process of adopting another cousin of mine. So, which, you know, I'm trying to take care of. It's driving me crazy. But, you know, I has a big heart and it's never stopped. And the moment she got out of her situation, some to my dismay, she's quick to help everyone knows which i understand because no one helped us you know (laughs) yeah and to listeners read this book that's all i can say read this book and then you'll know why i asked about how mom and sister are doing because you'll want to know too (laughs) so many things i want to ask you firstly when does the book become available to people and how can they get it the book becomes available this month i don't have the exact date yet as they're finishing processing um, certain things. I know that the ebook pre-order link is out right now on Amazon. Everybody can go and get it. The pre-order book comes out um, October 17th. The print version is also available for pre-order on our publisher's website. That's widowpublishing.com, W-I-D-O. But it'll also be up on Amazon. It's already on Goodreads. It'll be on Barnes & Noble. 
and so on and so forth by the end of this month, October 2017. So as folks are listening to this, because you're probably online, go find this book, My Way Home, Growing Up Homeless in America, a memoir. You want to read <laughs> this. You, I interview a number of authors, and I'm always really happy to, to you know encourage people to buy their books because they're good. This book is a life changer. Uh, and this book is, it's, it's so important right now because part of what's happening in this country, uh, part of the mm -hmm. intention of authoritarianism is to scapegoat the poor. Yes. So I've been yakking. Tell me, uh, just a little bit about yourself, where you were born, how you became homeless, and, and let's just start there. Uh, well, uh, hi everyone. Uh, again, my name is Michael Gordon, and I'm from, uh, we like to call America's finest city of San Diego. It's known for its less beaches and, you know, the zoo and SeaWorld, but many people don't know it has one of the biggest and growing populations of homelessness in the United States, possibly the world. And it, for me, it all started around six and a half, turning seven, where uh, my mother found herself, you know, disabled. And, you know, she always did her best to take care of me. But, you know, you, you're one check away from being homeless on the streets, you know, and, and unfortunately, um, a catastrophe happened where she got ill and too ill to work and, you know, rent was due and bills were due and my father's been locked up my entire life, you know, um, and my family's fractured from gangs and drugs and everything in between. And so when we really had our backs against the wall in my, in my youth, when about seven, my sister eight, uh, we found ourselves downtown with, you know, all of our suitcases and, nowhere to go, no family to turn to. Not saying family wasn't there, but we just didn't have family to turn to, no friends for support. And it seems like when you need everybody help, that's when they all disappeared. And and you, so you, you imagine a single mother of two, you know, seven, eight-year-old children downtown having to figure it out. And that's basically where it all started for me. And it just got so much worse because, you know, we've traveled around the United States, you know, Arizona, Utah, Texas, Arkansas, Tennessee, Virginia like six times, Oregon, just trying to make it out, trying to find a way, searching for opportunities, you know, um, opportunities that never came, searching for heroes, searching for government assistance. Everywhere we went, we were shunned, you know, you were poor, you were homeless, your voice didn't count. And they always told you you weren't grateful, you know, and what you didn't deserve. And so you question, so like, well, what, as a human being, what is it that I do deserve? In my youth, I was frustrated because there was nothing I could do, you know, I, I'm fighting people trying to rate my mom and rate my sister, you know, I'm fighting people who was trying to rate me, you know, I was fighting for our life, you know, you, and then I'm ducking bullets and guns and there's gangsters. And then when in my school, they're just telling me that I didn't belong. And I was just lost in a world where I just, you know, I had nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. And it took some real introspection. You know, I didn't have any mentors. I'm a big believer in mentors, but no one was there to really guide me. I, I suffered, you know, I almost died a couple of times from violence, all lost in that homeless community. Those are my origins. That's the first part of my conversation with Michael Galden, author of My Way Home, Growing Up Homeless in America, a memoir. We'll be back with the next part of that conversation after we hear this music from Eminem. You're listening to Paradigms at paradigms.life.
shot. One opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted. One moment that you captured. Yo, his palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop palms. But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud, he opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. He's choking how? Everybody's choking now. The clocks run out. Time's up. Over. Plow. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Oh, there goes rabbity choke. He's so mad, but he won't give up daddies. He know he won't have it. He knows his whole back's to these ropes. It don't matter. He's dope. He knows that, but he's broke. He's so stagnant. He knows when he goes back to this mobile home, that's when it's back to the lab again, yo. This old rhapsody better go capture this moment and hope it don't do it.
That's Eminem with his really big hit from some time ago, Lose Yourself. I always find that extremely powerful to listen to. And now here's the next part of my conversation with Michael Galden, author of My Way Home, Growing Up Homeless in America, a memoir. At any given time, there are, you know, between two and a half and three million homeless children in the United States. Yes. You know, it's not, your situation, unfortunately, was not unique. No. I mean, what I tell people all the time, and I cannot stress this enough, uh, because when I do speeches or when I go out to talk to the community, it's all of me, me, you, you talking about Michael Gordon. I'm telling you, you know, me, I'm just, I'm one of millions, you know, my story is not unique. <laughs> you know, it's not like this is happening to me. There's kids that grew up homes with me that are dead right now, you know, or locked up or lost into criminality there's i did a spoken word article about youth homelessness just to kind of shed light on the movement that millions of kids are homeless every day and it's not people think that it's just the suburban kids who are mischievous you know and just want to break away from the parents and that's just so not the case maybe there's some but we really have young kids you know and they think of 16 year olds you know i'm talking about four and five year olds on the street in tents with their sick and dying mother you know i'm talking about eight and nine year olds who laugh and play just like little kid at everyone else, but unfortunately sleeping in and out of shelters. Or I remember this one family who was sleeping in and out of a ditch. I'm just an example of tragedy that struck millions and millions of Americans and millions of people across the world. And if when people say, you know, it was akin to me, I'm, I get offended, you know, because I've lost real friends to this homeless stuff, you know. And many homeless kids kill themselves, you know. We don't stop this. Who's going to stop it? We're listening to you, and you're obviously you know, have an education and you're a thoughtful person. And so listeners might think, well, he made out okay. But there's a line <laughs> in your book that I'm going to read to people on page 92. And I think this is really powerful. You said people talked about, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And you said, but you could not pull yourself up from your bootstraps if you didn't have any boots. Yes. It's really important for people to understand that this is not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps situation. This is a situation where we have an economic system that keeps yes. people destitute. And yes. desolate, yes. Because uh, what, I, what I meant by that line is you hear a lot of people say handouts and, you know, don't give them food stamps or, you know, um, don't give them Medi-Cal and pull yourself up from your bootstraps and it's do it yourself, you know, and, and no disrespect to anyone, but these are coming from people who are born with, you know, with boots and spoons in their mouth, you know, when you have nothing, when you have zero, absolutely nothing, and you're coming from the ground floor, I'm talking about, you don't have zero dollars, you don't have a bank account, your parents don't have a bank account, nobody has jobs because of the, you know, whether it's you're an immigrant or whether you're just born into desperation, you know, you have nothing, not a penny to your name. When you're that desolate, when you're that impoverished, how can you expect a you know, 15-year-old kid to go out there and get a job and change his life around? He'll probably die. You can say, we need help. It's not something we, a child or anyone can just do on their own. It's, a, it's an economic system institutionalized to keep you know, the classes separate. But when I'm talking about the homeless community and putting yourself up, you know, you have rich, you know, you have middle class, you have poor, and then you have homeless, you know, and the home, you have to get to being poor. Then you have to get to being middle class. You know, you have to get to being poor. Poor would be a huge step up. Poor is a major monumental step up to call yourself poor. You know, there's one time my mother made $5,000 in one year, you know, and that was the one of our, the best years we ever did as far as income, you know. We're talking about real situations when people don't have a dollar to their name. 
what do you expect them to do? They need help. They need programs. You know, you cannot pull yourself up from your bootstraps if you're barefooted, you know? We're talking about what's equitable. You know, I'm not talking about what's equal. I'm talking about what's equitable, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a pair of boots. Now, we'll pull myself up from my bootstraps. Yeah. Give me a pair of boots, though, if that makes sense. We'll be back with Michael Galden after we hear some more music. And in the next part of our conversation, we'll be talking about what happens to homeless kids. Here's something from Tupac. Something for my godson Elijah and little girl named Corinne. Say the black of the better, the sweet of the juice. I say the dark of the flesh and the deep of the roots. I give a holler to my sisters on welfare. Tupac kids, if don't nobody else care. And uh, I know they like to beat you down a lot. And when you come around the block, brothers clown a lot. But please don't cry, dry your eyes, never let up. Forgive, but don't forget, girl, keep your head up. And when he tells you you ain't nothing, don't believe him. And if you can't learn to love you, you should leave him. Cause sister, you don't need And I ain't trying to gash up I just call them how I see You know what makes me unhappy that When brothers make babies And leave a young mother to be a pastor And since we all came from a woman Got our name from a woman And I came from a woman I wonder why we take from our women Why we rape our women Do we hate our women I think it's time to kill for our women Time to heal our women Be real to our women and if we don't, we'll have a race of babies That will hate the ladies that make the babies And since a man can't make one He has no right to tell a woman when and where to create one So will the real men get up? I know you're fed up, ladies But keep your head up Babies on their own I know it's kind of rough And you're feeling all alone 
Daddy's long gone and he left you by your lonesome Thank the Lord for my kids even if nobody else wants them Cause I think we can make it in fact I'm sure And if you fall stand tall or come back for more Cause ain't nothing worse than when your son wants to know why his daddy don't love him no more You can't complain you was dealt this hell of a hand without a man feeling helpless Because it's too many things for you to deal with Dying inside but outside you're looking fierce While the tears is rolling down your cheek Your daddy hoping things don't all fall this week Cause if it did you couldn't take it And don't blame me I was given this world I didn't make it And now my son's getting older and Kids are driving bins, I'm still trying to hold on to surviving friends. And it's crazy, it seems they'll never let up. But, huh, please, you got to keep your head up. Tupac Shakur, keep your head up. Here's the next part of my conversation with Michael Galden. When opportunity is not distributed equitably, which means mm-hmm. that everyone gets a fair shot, the people who yes. don't get the opportunity... But they don't get the opportunity. They, it's like you're saying, you can't pick yourself up by your bootstraps if you have no boots. Right now, we're seeing in the United States an uglier, I didn't think it could get much uglier, but it is. <laughs> People are turning on each other. We are increasingly mm-hmm. divided. And the people who are the most vulnerable are the easiest targets for people who are looking mm-hmm. for scapegoats. Right. And so we've seen this happen in other countries, in other cultures, at other times. We've seen our own country increase the number of people who are houseless, homeless in my lifetime. But what we're seeing now is active hatred Mm -hmm. and brutality expressed towards homeless people, often by youth in violent ways. And that's just... yes says to me that our values as a country are really uh, disintegrating. In our country, we, what we value? Materialistic things, superficial things. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's a consumer-oriented marketplace. You know, buy more, get more, you know. The problem with that is when you value materialistic things, if you see somebody without it, they have no value to you, if that makes sense. You know, like your boss, you know, or your teacher or your mentor or whoever that person may be, you place a value to them. They're their mentor because they can help guide you and become something, or, or your boss, they have revenue. You, you, have, you place an innate value to them. But when you see that homeless boy or homeless girl or man or woman on the street, they have no value to you because they don't have what you, what you value. You know what I'm saying? They don't have that Lamborghini. They don't have that Audi. They don't have that home. So when you see them, who cares about going murdered his homeless kid? Who cares? And that's the bottom line of it. It's like, who cares? You know, I care, sure. That homeless man, he cares about his life, sure. But for the society as a whole, you know, our values are placed upon everything else. I mean, homelessness is what happens to you when you fail in life. It's how a lot of people say, you know, if you mess up and you don't go to college or get a trade and you just screw your life away, you'll end up homeless on the street, not understanding that people will come into it homeless on the street. They don't place any value on their lives because they don't have a net worth. If you don't have a net worth, your life is meaningless in this society. And that is a really important concept for people to understand. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I think, and you said it so clearly, when we value things or money or material possessions or property as the epitome of accomplishment and achievement, then we're not valuing our humanity. 
And that means we aren't valuing each other for our intrinsic mm-hmm. value as beings. Yes, exactly. What caused you to write the book? I was, I was doing some introspection, you know. I started writing this book um, maybe my junior year in college. You know, I wasn't doing as many speeches, um, focusing on, you know, my academia. But I was running into students and peers, you know, coming from situations similar to mine who just felt so alone. And I also ran into a problem where I was talking to individuals of affluence. The disconnection between them and, and us regular people, was it was so strong. Or if I was to give a speech, they would come pat me on my back and say, you know, good boy. And, you know, why can everybody be like that? And I'm like, everybody can be, you know, I, the whole good boy, you know, you, you get patron, you know, patronized from time to time. But and it wasn't intentional, but that was part of the problem. You know, you see, it's like I need to send a message. You know, it's, people don't understand that youth homelessness is real. Like it's a real thing. You know, it's like a myth. You know, like they don't believe you. You know, when they think of homelessness, they see that vagabond swearing and cussing on the street, you know, versus, you know, somebody like you or I or, you know, some of my coworkers. See the kids, you know, I work at the modern school, K through 12 institution that educates students impacted by homelessness exclusively, you know, K through 12, you know, kindergarten, if you get what I'm saying, you know, and I feel like people have to know this. You know, I don't think anyone intentionally wants to see kindergartners on the tents and in the street, but then I don't think they know they exist. People just see that one guy who just threw his life away and the story goes so much, much more. And I know it's embarrassing. I, I know the humiliation. I know how people may even view me for going through what I went through, you know, but somebody has to do it. You know, somebody has to stand up for what they believe in and share the story. You know, I feel like sharing a story gives a purpose. And I can't expect everyone to go up there and say, you know, I was homeless. I slept in tents. I slept in ditches. I couch surf because it impacts more people than you know. Your friends could be homeless, but you just don't know. It's a big umbrella. It's okay. You know, we struggle. But in order to help change the change the situation, we have to acknowledge that it exists. My conversation with Michael Galdon, author of My Way Home, Growing Up Homeless in America, a memoir, will continue. But here is some more music. Here's something from R. Kelly. I think about it every night 
Kelly with I Believe I Can Fly, so important that young people receive encouragement in all ways. Emotional support is great, but people who need to eat and need shelter, basic needs, right? We've got to make sure as a society that all our people have their basic needs met. Here's the next part of my conversation with Michael Galden, author of My Way Home, Growing Up Homeless in America, a memoir. Your book is a incredibly powerful statement a way to reach a lot of people and let them know this is real yeah yeah I and mean, that was the point behind it. you know if i could put this into a manuscript and and get it out there in front of people you know maybe they'll take it a little bit more serious because when you look at me you know what i'm saying initially i'm like that's not true 
who who would survive that, right? You know what I'm saying? And it's crazy because all the stories you'll hear, people are quick to say, that's not true. Come on, just maybe because they didn't go through it or it just sounds so far-fetched, they're quick to say it's not true. And my story is, you know, it's a horror story at some points for sure, but it's one of the better ones, you know? Like, again, I've seen people die in the shelters. You know, I've seen families ripped apart in front of me. You know, my family was ripped apart, you know? And, and this is where the people who say that's not true. I'm like, come see what I see. You know, just look at life through my eyes for a glimpse into a reality that you walk past every day. Because downtown is like two different things. You know, downtown San Diego, you have the affluence, you have the desolate. They operate as ghosts, you know, transparent of each other. Same situations, same area, same location, but never really see each other, talk or communicate, you know. Because one doesn't care about the other. The other is just trying to survive, you know. And I'm just trying to shed light on it. It's so really bizarre, actually, especially the way you just said, you know, that people don't even see each other. We're all born naked and we all die naked. We come in with nothing <laughs> and we leave with nothing. And in between, all kinds of things happen. But we're the same. Mm -hmm. We come in the same yeah. and we leave the same. So right. how can we actually really be different in between? We're not. We're not. The only thing that separates people is in our society is, a, is affluence you know it's class actually not even so much race you know and, and i know that's a little weird to say especially coming from a you know a minority male but what homelessness taught me is that when you're in that shelter that scum of the earth when you're in this shelter or on the streets or sleeping outside as you know the lowest you can get you know there's no black there's no mexican there's no white there's no asian there's only homeless poor people you get what i'm saying there's no difference between a homeless black person and a homeless white person. You get what I'm saying? It's like they're just homeless, you know? What separates them is that white American with quote unquote, you know, sociological economic status. You know, that's what makes people feel separate from others, you know? And to reach that affluence, you don't have to necessarily be white, but it's more of a classist system. That's the bigger problem, you know, is that you can't, there's no upward mobility, you know? It's like you're supposed to stay where you were born at. So yes, we were all born naked, but as soon as some people came out, they were throwing in silk. Some of us came out, we were throwing dumpsters, you know? And then we have to build up. And the people who got silk look at the people in dumpsters like, oh my God, get away from me. But it's a flip of a coin, you know? I could have easily been born into a rich family and they could have easily been born into a poor one we none of us have control over that and we need to understand that we're all human beings we all bleed red <laughs> you know what i'm saying like and we need to acknowledge that just come by it's not housed doesn't mean they're not a human being they literally only don't have a place to stay literally like they don't have a residence and as simple as that is it makes all the difference would you read something for us please from the book yes i can we had previously talked, and I was looking at one of those passages, and that came from page 92, where we were talking about the bootstraps. And I want to read that line that incorporates, it's, it's a bit of a paragraph, it's about a paragraph, so please bear with me. My mom finally turned our food stamps back on, so I didn't really starve anymore. We could go right into a grocery store and buy anything to eat. Virtually heaven. I didn't care what anyone said about food stamps. I appreciated them. Some people were too embarrassed to get them, but we didn't care. People can talk about entitlement. People can talk about government handouts. And people can talk about whatever else they wanted to talk about. I really, honestly, didn't care. They had never been where I stood, trapped at the bottom, gazing up at them. I didn't care what they said. They couldn't comprehend the desolation of having to go without. 
They want to talk about entitlement. No, they were entitled. What am I entitled to? Food? Is it a human right or an entitlement? I've heard people say you have to pull yourself up from your bootstraps, but you can't pull yourself up from your bootstraps if you didn't have any boots. And my guess is a lot of people listening to this have never been hungry and not had food. And the people who have been hungry will understand what you're saying. And the people who haven't, no blame on them. They haven't had that experience. That's where empathy comes in. Right. That's where we have to be able to put ourselves in other people's shoes and and think about that. This is no shade to people who were born with a fortunate life and never had to experience hunger. That's how we all, it should be for everyone, you know? Like, But no blame to them for not having to be hungry. But there's no blame to the people who had to be hungry, who had to struggle through that certain struggle. You know, it's all about empathy. I need people who were impoverished to not hate every person of affluence because it's not their fault that you were impoverished. You get what I'm saying? And I need people of affluence to understand that every person that was born in, you know, hungry and, and impoverished is not of their choice, but it's of their circumstance. And I need everybody to, to not judge the circumstance or the skin tone. I need you to judge the person by their character, who you are, what you're willing to do. You know, I, I couldn't have never got this far without the right opportunity, you know, from people of affluence. If that makes sense, you know, um, the only way to get out of this is we all work together, you know. Here's something from Bella Fleck and the Fleck Tones. You got it rolling? Yeah.
Bella Fleck and the Fleck Tones with Home Sweet Home. And now here's the next part of my conversation with Michael Galden. There's a part in your book where you write about being at the Monarch School and your experience with a guidance counselor and a couple of the teachers who, even though it's a school that is supposed to provide assistance for homeless youth, some of the adults seemed like they didn't really uh, get it. (laughs) And (laughs) they probably meant well, but they didn't really get it. And from reading it, what I'll say, I think they didn't get is the inherent dignity of each person, regardless Mm -hmm. of their circumstance. But I'm wondering, because you're very, um, you're actually kind in your book to the people who, some of whom were unkind to you. Mm -hmm. Tell me about some of your thoughts and feelings about people who try to help but just don't get it. What is it that you would say to them? What is it you want them to get? I think for, well, I believe for the Monarch School, and my experiences, uh, well, you know, I currently work at the new version of the Monarch School, actually, you know, so um, but back then it just, it was such a different place. And uh, like you said, I think they meant well in the beginning, you know, but in education, it, it's a marathon. And through time, you see so many kids fail. You know, you come in like gung-ho, everyone goes to college, but we're talking about, you know, 17-year-olds with 1.2 GPAs or, or you know, 15-year-olds who've never been in school, you know, their whole life, you know, we're talking about kids with real issues, you know, with real hindrances to their success. And some teachers or educators or mentors or whoever that person may be become disillusioned. Like this can't work. Maybe five years ago when I was new to this, but right now I understand that you guys are lost. Nothing we do matters. You know, no opportunity I give you is going to help you out of this. And you're lost. And I just hope you graduate and go to the military or something, which is also a good option. But, I mean, that's how it's framed, you know. And what I say to those people, you never know who you're talking to. You never know who's going to be the next president. You never know. And as cliche as that sounds, but you never know. You know, I feel like every child deserves an opportunity. I think it's a meritocracy. If a student is showing you that despite the circumstance, they have that effort, they have the ambition, you know, they, they have the will to do whatever it takes, no matter what it takes. I believe as educators, we must give them the opportunity. And if you see students struggling or who, who don't have that ambition, I feel like educators, it's our job to get that fire started because we know their life's on the line, you know, and it's up to us to help them find a way out. We, we have to make that connection and build those relationships with those students. We can't expect the students to just get it on their own and do it. They don't know. They're outside trying to survive every day they leave school. They don't know if they're going to live or die. You know what I'm saying? Not going to test to that for someone who almost died, you know? So you just need to build relationships with them to show them that you care for them as a person and then they'll open up and you guys could do wonders. You could figure the rest out, but the they need to make that first step instead of just assuming that they, they know what's going to work out and you're no different from the rest and statistics, 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 you know. But there's outliers to every data source. It's what I say when people bring me statistics. We'll be back with the final part of my conversation with Michael Galden, author of My Way Home, Growing Up Homeless in America, a memoir, right after this music. You're listening to Paradigms at paradigms.life.
Ben Harper with Homeless Child. And now here's the final part of my conversation with Michael Galden. Listening to you, what you said a few minutes ago, it's really important for people to understand as smart as you are, as capable as you are, that wasn't enough to get you out of no. that cycle of homelessness. People had to help. Yeah. And that's a and it's a good thing that people help. There are millions of talented, bright, incredible young homeless kids yes. who will not rise if we don't help them because they can't do it all on their own. Not at all. Not at all. Millions. We're talking about, you know, could be geniuses. We're talking about artists. We're talking about, you know, rocket scientists. We're talking about these brilliant kids. You know what I'm saying? Brilliant because your circumstances have nothing to do with your mind. You know, we're talking about brilliant individuals who need an opportunity. You can't do anything without an opportunity. You could be the smartest kid in the room. But without an opportunity, you will remain in that room, you know? like. And for me, I, I luckily ran into some good people during the college preparatory organization, you know, um, and, and, and kind of found my route through there, through those certain pathways, you know? But without those, without that help, without that internship that helped me move us out of our car, we'd probably still be homeless. We'd probably still be homeless. And that's what people need to understand. They gave me an inch, I, I took it to a mile. But give me an inch. Give those millions of homeless kids an inch, you know? I run an internship program here for these homeless kids. And it's crazy when they come in, you see them one way, you know, kind of dirty a little bit, you know, just in the world, you know? I mean, I'm looking into my past, you know? But when you train them through work readiness training, give them a little bit of money to, to cover the, you know, they work for it. So you pay them to cover for, you know, the daily necessities. You see these students blossom into incredible individuals but without that opportunity with they will never have that chance and if anybody out there can give a student an opportunity we're not saying you're going to go save the world you know what i mean you can help impact the community and give students opportunity where it's donating where there's scholarships where it's, you don't always have to go out and hand out sandwiches i'm talking about i want these students to fish for a lifetime you know what i'm saying like don't give them fish help them fish for a lifetime give them an opportunity help these brilliant kids break the cycle of homelessness for them and their families because they need help. We can't do it by ourselves. How? What are we going to do? We don't have anything. How really great it is that you got out and what you decided to do, at least for the time being, is to go back and help. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like I had to. I had a job opportunity in Los Angeles when I graduated UCLA. Um, and even before I came to Amana School, I had a job opportunity that offered paid me about, you know, $7,000 more, but you know, all money's not good money, Baruch, and I had to follow my heart. I understood that these kids need help, and I relate to them right now more than anyone because I was them, and that's our relatability relationships. You know, growing up, they told me no excuses, and I give the, hope these kids the same standard, but I understand that I'm, I take a trauma-informed approach where, you know, I understand that you're sleeping on the streets. I understand that you're in storage units. I understand that you're hungry. I understand that you're poor and impoverished and that's why we need to succeed that's not why you're failing that's not why you can't do it those obstacles that you have that's why we must do it to get rid of them that's the only way it's the hard way and i took the hard way you know all my friends are selling drugs and being gangsters and all that stuff coming from you know a bad community i took the long way you know i took the hard way everybody called me stupid baruch but you know hard work pays off and I made it through this way, and I, I can guarantee it. And if any kid willing to take this way that's homeless or impoverished, foster care, willing to work hard, take the hard way, not cut corners, I can promise them that life will get better. Not by just me telling 
they can look at me and see he's he's telling us exactly what he did and we can do it's replicable which is the biggest thing you know it's replicable it's like i'm not no shade to myself but i didn't do anything like crazy special you know <laughs> like i went to college you know but because i was homeless they had zero expectations of me you know which makes me a quote unquote success story but what i tell these kids take the long way don't so don't get locked up don't ruin your life anymore you know, but if you take this hard way and work hard with me, I'm right here with you. You know, you're not doing it, but I'm right here with you. We could do this together. I promise you, you'll be in a better place. And I could have somebody else do it or I could come back myself, take less money and really pour my heart into it just because I care. I wish somebody cared for me that much. The book is My Way Home, Growing Up Homeless in America, a memoir, the author Michael Galden. Michael, big respect, and um, <laughs> I'm very moved by the book. I think what you're doing is is really important, and I hope that lots of people read the book and are inspired by you. <laughs> Thanks, Farouz, man. I really appreciate the opportunity and you taking the time to read the book and uh, and chat with me. It's been it's been really fun, and I really appreciate it. MichaelGalden.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-U-L-D-E-N.com. Please visit his website, buy his book, read his book. It will open up your heart and mind, and it's a really powerful document. Michael, thank you so much for writing it, for sharing your story, and for being on Paradigms. This episode of Paradigms is archived, along with all the other episodes, at the Paradigms website, paradigms.life, and in iTunes under Podcasts. So you can listen to it again and check out all the other archived episodes. We'll be back next time with more inspired, inspiring people. Until then, I hope this episode gives you plenty to think about and feel about. And I'm going to leave you with a song by Nas. It's called I Can. Baruch signing off for Paradigms. We'll see you next time. Have a great week. Doctor, maybe an actress, but nothing comes easy. It takes much practice. Like, I met a woman who's becoming a star. She was very beautiful, leaving people in awe. Singing songs, Lena Horn, but the younger version hung with the wrong person. Got a strong one at her when cocaine, sniffing up drugs, all in the nose. Could have died so young, now looks ugly and old. No fun, cause now when she reaches for hugs, people hold their breath. Cause she smells of corrosion and death. Watch the company you keep and the crowd you bring. Cause they came to do drugs and you came to sing. So if you're going to be the best, I'ma tell you how. Put your hand in the air and take the vow. I know I can. I know I can. Be what I wanna be. Be what I wanna be. If I work hard at it. If I work hard at it. I'll be where I wanna be. Listen again. 
This is for grown looking girls who's only 10 The ones who watch videos and do what they see As cute as can be, up in the club with fake ID Careful, for you meet a man with HIV You can host a TV like Oprah Winfrey Whatever you decide, be careful, some men be Rapists, so act your age, don't pretend to be Older than you are, give yourself time to grow You're thinking he can give you wealth, but so young boys You can use a lot of help, you know You're thinking life's all about smoking weed and ice You don't wanna be my agent, can't read and write Begging different women for a place to sleep at night Smart boys turn them in and do whatever they wish If you believe you can achieve, then say it like this I know I can, I know I can be, what I wanna be. be what I wanna be If I work hard at it, I'll be where I wanna be came to this country we were kings and queens never porch monkeys there was empires in africa called kush timbuktu where every race came to get books to learn from black teachers who taught greeks and romans asian arabs and gave them gold when gold was converted to money it all changed money then became empowerment for europeans the persian military invaded they heard about the gold the teachings and everything sacred Africa was almost robbed naked, slavery was money, so they began making slave ships. Egypt was the place that Alexander the Great went. He wasn't shocked that the mountains were black faces, shot up their nose to impose what basically still goes on today, you see. If the truth is told, the youth can grow, they'll learn to survive until they gain control. Nobody says you have to be gangsters, hoes, read more, learn more, change the globe. Ghetto children, do your thing Hold your head up, little man, you're a king Young princess, when you get your wedding ring Your man is saying, she's my queen I know I can, I know I can Be what I wanna be, be, what I wanna be. If I work hard at it I'll be where I wanna be You've been listening to Paradigms at Paradigms.life.